Hello and welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. I'm your host, Andrew Moses. Joining me today, three-time Olympic gold medalist and world ice dance champion, Tessa Virtue. Tessa, welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Really appreciate it. Tessa, I can't wait to dig into your career uh, on the ice and also what you're doing now, but I want to backtrack a little bit. I always like to, uh, I'm always curious, as a child, what drew you to figure skating and ice dancing? Hmm. I don't remember really making a conscious decision to be a figure skater or an ice dancer. In fact, I was the youngest of four kids and I come from a very athletic family. And I, I was the least athletic and talented kid, <laughs> for sure. But it was just a mandate of my parents to expose us to as many different activities and sports as possible. Especially it was two boys, two girls. My mom didn't want the two girls to be traipsing around following the boys to hockey and football and baseball. She wanted us to have our own things. And skating was just one activity on the list. So I showed up at um, the skating club and my grandma dropped me off and she said, this is just what Tessa does for fun. She already has a lot going on. No competitions, no testing. This is just uh, her activity for fun. And of course, I, I started skating with Scott when I was seven and things just sort of snowballed. But it so just you, sort of organically happened. So, so, so you and Scott go on to, to, to partner on the ice for 22 years, mm -hmm. become the most decorated figure skaters in Olympic history, uh, the first figure skaters to own five Olympic medals. So obviously, an elite, you know, something that started organic, you know, turned into something very elite. When you, when you think about being an elite at anything, what is it that you think separates the elite from the rest? I mean, is it too obvious to say grit or resilience? Like, I think there's there's something about having ambition for sure, but then also just doing whatever it takes to, to put in the work. And I think probably, I mean, uh, what could have defined our success was just that we would stop at nothing, you know, to achieve something meaningful to us. And um, we just sort of pushed through that sense of delayed gratification and, and digging deep. So, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, I always wonder when does somebody say that I'm going to, I want to be the best in the world at whatever it is I'm doing, because I could say right now, I want to be the best in the world at ice dancing. And it's probably not, it's probably not going to happen. But at some point you must've known that, Hey, this is a possibility. Or if I bring the, the right ambition and I've got a, the, the, the appropriate coaches and I have a game plan, this is possible. When did you know that it was Possible, or at least when did you say I'm going to do this? Mm. In January of 2010, about three weeks before we went to Vancouver, <laughs> Scott was so different. It was when I mean, maybe eight years before that or something, when they announced the Vancouver Games. He said, "You know, we're going to be there. We'll be on the podium." And it honestly was not until just a few weeks before we we flew to those games where I thought, hmm, maybe we do have a shot at this. And maybe the balance <laughs> of how we approach that really worked for us. Um, I was always sort of second guessing our ability and Scott seemed to have this, this resounding confidence in what we could achieve. Um, so that sort of propelled us forward always together. So, so you guys, you know, obviously, you know, one of the, the greatest teams in the history of sport, uh, let alone your sport. Um, you and I have talked about this show is called everybody pulls the tarp. And it's it's, thank you. And it's based upon a philosophy that I have that great teams, even teams of two, 
uh, and great organizations are, are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways. They don't, they don't say that's not in my job description. They do whatever it, whatever it takes. So as you think about your career on the ice, what are examples of little things that, that you would do in training, whatever, that in your mind made a big impact? I think uh, recognizing and valuing the work put in by the, you know, our team members or so our coaches, our support staff, our mental prep coach, our nutritionist, whoever it was, we really wanted to empower them to be their best, but also make them feel really special. And it's something, you know, when you're so caught up in a goal and you're, and you're striving for something, um, it can be all encompassing, but it can also be quite selfish. And it was really, really important to us to foster this environment that was positive and uplifting and this reciprocal exchange of energy. Um, because in fact, then we got better coaching from those around us when they felt good about themselves, you know? And so it was sort of this cyclical nature. And also just, I think the sense of every day showing up to the rink and just thinking, what can I do to make Scott's life better or easier? You know, how can I ease his workload? How can I support him? What does he need today? And he and he did the same. So we put one another first always. It's so interesting. And and you know, I I I'm mistaken, right? I said before you guys were a team of two, but you're really not a team of two. You're a team of two on the ice, but there's so much going on behind the scenes. Talk talk a bit more about you know the uh, the, the the folks that were around you that that helped you guys achieve that that uh, you know record setting success. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it uh, it takes a village, of course, and it was. In the end, I'll speak to sort of the last two years uh, leading into the Pyeongchang Olympics, and that was a team of maybe 14 or so people. And the difference maker in those two years was honestly communication and having that streamlined. So whereas before Scott and I were the pillars and relaying all the information from on ice to off ice and all the people around us, instead we just empowered people to communicate directly and sometimes take us out of the equation. Um, but always with that singular focus and aligned vision of just being the best we could possibly be. Do, do you think that was just because you and Scott are humble and understand the role that the others play around you? Or you know, was it just this deep trust that you had in, the, in, those, in those folks around you? It, it was a trust. I felt like we both felt like that was um, sort of the ace of our sleeves. You know, we, we felt like that was a, our greatest asset was our, the rest of our team and what we could offer. And we just always wanted to do things differently. We wanted to approach sport and training differently. Ice dance, like many sports, is, is a little archaic in its approach and methodologies. So we wanted to sort of flip the script and, and try, you know, coming at it from a different angle. And also, yeah, I think... I, you know, we were the two on the podium at the end, but we never felt that ever. I mean, the vulnerability of being center ice and, and feeling someone alone was masked by the sense that we knew we had a, a great team behind us. So when, when, when you're preparing for the Olympics and you're going through those, those 22 years together, I mean, is it literally, like people say, a singular focus? Are you essentially almost sacrificing everything else around you and zeroing in on that goal? You know, I would have liked, I, I'm sure I did say back back then that, oh, I'm well-rounded and I'm balanced and I tried my best to sort of be multi-dimensional uh, and do school and other things. But yes, I mean, every decision is filtered through the lens of, will this help me become Olympic champion? 
So like, will this interview today, will this 30 minutes affect my day negatively, positively, how, you know, the smoothie I had for breakfast, <laughs> will that help me win in four years? Like it, it's a little obsessive, um, but it's also such a beautiful place to be. It's like such a fun bubble. And I realize not many other parts of your life do you get to have that, you know, like life goes on and in real life <laughs> outside of sport, you, you have to be accessible to those around you. But when you're an athlete, that's all that matters is, is being your best at, at a certain moment. And, and you really can block out the world. <laughs> do you, do you have moments in that process where you, you feel a sense of burnout and you say, Hey, I've, I've, I've got to step back for a sec. You know, maybe it's a few, maybe it's a, an afternoon. I've got to take an afternoon to, to, to sit and do nothing or just to recharge the batteries. Yeah. And that's hard to recognize because as athletes, you're just used to living in pain or with fatigue and it's, it's hard to recognize sometimes that rest is productive and as mature athletes in the end, I think we valued that more and we had a team that really pushed us for that. So we would, you know, incorporate some long weekends of a few more breaks, things like that. And you do need to unplug. I mean, I think part of our success was the ability to walk away from the rink and not define ourselves as figure skaters. Um, and it, it made us a little more present in those moments of training too. But yes, it's very important and it's, it's hard. It's hard because you don't want to be the lazy athlete. You, you're taught to, to continue to just push and push and push. Well, I, I also know in, in my career, right, you know, I'm a morning person and I, you know, I, I can get well, up and <laughs> I can, I can get up at five in the morning and go and, you know, it, what's interesting is, you know, I can still get up at five in the morning, but what I find is, you know, the longer, you know, the older I get and the more the responsibilities expand, it, I've got to go to bed earlier to be able to, to, to be as effective and creative and, um, Tension, you know, and organized at five in the morning. So, so if you're it, up at five, when are you going to bed? I, you know, I'll normally go to bed. Um, I it used to be about midnight to really feel like I could, I could, you know, hit the day strong. Now it's got to be, it's got to be closer to eleven o'clock. Oh my gosh, but that's still not a lot of sleep. It's not a lot of sleep, but but um, I've always just, you know, but but you know what? I know that my power hour is between five and eight. That's where I'm going to be the sharpest. That's where I'm going to be the most creative, and I've. I've, I think I've come to just kind of know my body, know my brain when, when I fatigue and I just try and be intentional about stacking, you know, the more complicated, challenging work earlier in the day, if I can, and putting, um, maybe the more mindless administrative work, if you want to call it that later in the day, but no, I'm not one of these. I, I was never one of these people, even in college, you know, to open up the, uh, I majored in accounting. I could not open up the accounting oh, book at my, 10 o'clock. My goodness, I'm so happy to chat with you today because after this, I need to tackle some accounting homework. So I might keep you on the line. <laughs> there we go. I could be your I could be your uh, your tutor. That would be great. <laughs> so that's a great segue, Tessa, into what you're doing now. You're 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 in an executive MBA program, and you talk about this entrepreneurial spirit that is is inside you. Um, I've heard you talk about the time on your on the ice as an athlete, as you get to be your own boss, um, and you know making the transition from that structure and that rigor that you have when you're a competitive athlete to post, you know, uh, Olympic athlete. In my mind, must be challenging. So, talk a bit about that immediate transition when when you decide to step away from from competition, step away from the ice, 
and start to you know open up the aperture a bit to pursue new new ventures what's that moment like and then we'll get into a little bit about what you're doing now well it was no surprise we had really well, we thought we were retiring after 2014 and then came back. And, and so we were definitive about, you know, that being the end for us. So we were able to spend, you know, almost two years working with our sports psychologist prepping for that moment of transition. And as skaters, you know, unlike many other Olympic sports, we have the opportunity to tour and, and do shows and do our sport, um, have a little bit of a buffer, earn a living. Um, but the way I sort of married the two was that we produced – uh, our own tour for two years. And, and then I was able to learn sort of the behind the scenes of all of that, um, you know, working with venues and negotiating and creating a show. And there's so many different facets to that production, which was fun to play both roles. And do you know what the moment was when I was on the ice realizing like, hmm, where's my thrill now? What, what gives, what feeds me and what fulfills me? And, and is that negotiating the contract or is that performing? on the ice and I was leaning a little bit more towards the former, not because I didn't love skating, but just because it, it seemed like, okay, a natural time to, to sort of explore something new. And deciding to take on school was also sort of inevitable, but then terrifying when it really came to be and came to light. In fact, I think even now, so there are about 90 or 95 people in the class and such brilliant, like, formidable humans who are doing amazing things <laughs> and I'm more nervous participating in class than I was taking the ice in Pyeongchang like it's a visceral reaction of nerves wow. <laughs> so I guess that tells me maybe I'm doing something right because it's a challenge it's a new pursuit and I can theoretically you know learn some things about the business world and practically apply them at the same time I feel really lucky so you, so you talked about that tour um, and, and planning that tour. When when was the first time? I'm always curious. When was the first time that you you really saw the the corporate side of what you know mm -hmm. of what you were doing? Was it was it in Vancouver when when you guys you know really had that 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 international and you, you you had that international success? Yeah, that's a great question, Andrew. One, I'm actually not sure if we've been asked that, but leading into Vancouver, we didn't have one sponsor, like not even one private like donor who was like, here, here you go, kids. And I remember just looking and seeing people on Cheerios boxes and our, you know, our colleagues and doing all these billboards and things. And we were training in the States, which was great because we didn't see any of the lead up um, from the Canadian buzz of, of the Olympics, but we were flying so far under the radar, which I think served and helped our success. But afterwards it was a flick of a switch, you know, business hat on and we were expected to navigate the world of speaking and sponsors and shows and tours and um, and a little bit more in the public eye, I guess, if you will, on a small scale. Um, so it was it was an interesting time. I look back on it fondly, it, um, but we had great mentors around us who could kind of help guide us. So, so now, how do you how do you gin up that focus and that competitive juice and that energy in this new, you know, chapter in your, in your life, right? Like, how do you take, like, or, or do you take, and can you, is that stuff that, that, that you just, you know, relied on as an Olympian, is it just ingrained in you or do you have to like fire it up and say, Hey, now I'm going to take this competitive spirit. I'm going to apply it to this class, in my MBA program, and I'm going to get organized. Talk about that for a second. I had a little self-talk 
um, yesterday asking myself the same question. Tessa, where is that? <laughs> where is that gumption? Um, and I think part of it is just overcoming the fear of of being so totally, not out of my element because I've been in business for, for many years, but just coming at it from a different perspective. And the difference with this particular program, it's crafted for people who have full-time jobs. So everyone in the program is busy, has families and, and these really impressive, exceptional jobs. And then we're adding on, um, you know, the schooling to it. And so it, I'm learning from me what's hard is not investing everything into one project. I'm trying to do a hundred things right now and I'm trying to figure out, and you say you figured out your structure of the day. I'm just trying to figure out what that looks like for me and when I'm most productive and where I need to allocate my energy and resources. So it, it comes and goes, but honestly, when I believe in something, when I find it meaningful and significant, the, the same sort of fire is ignited and, and it's good to know that beyond skating I can still feel that and I can still strive to be you know I might not be the best in the world at anything anymore but I'll strive to be my best and, and I think that's pretty well across the board so now you've got you know like you say you, you want to do a hundred different things versus you know we talked a few minutes ago about a singular focus is does that create some of the anxiety and stress um, or does it make it particularly challenging I, a little bit of both yeah there's certainly stress with that. But it makes me appreciate what what we had in sport. Like that's just a beautiful time and chapter. And I'm grateful that we knew that in the end. We knew how rare it was to be able to feel that. But it's not easy. Like there was so much pressure that now and I think probably at the time I would have I would have loved to explore other avenues. So now I, I get to do that. And I get to do so many things that I wasn't able to do as an athlete. And so, you know, stressful as it may be, it's such a wonderful, refreshing opportunity to say yes to these new challenges and, and sort of fill my plate in ways that feels really satisfying. It's, it's uh, when, I, when I think about like so, somebody like you, Tessa, I, I think that there must have been so many sacrifices that, that, that you, you've made you know, through the years to maintain that singular focus and achieve the success that you have. And so many people, I find, want to achieve uncommon results and be the best at something, but they're not willing to put in the common or the uncommon uh, inputs to get the output that they they want. And it must, you know, it it must just be, you know, so rewarding now, as you put it, to be able to, you know, open up the world and 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 pursue those different things. But I'm curious, I mean, what, when you think back, I mean, you know, were you, do you look at it as though you were making sacrifices or were you, you know, just at the time feeling so fortunate, you know, for the opportunity to do what you and Scott were doing that it wasn't so much a sacrifice. Yeah. It's interesting what goes sort of to the wayside when, when you're pursuing something you believe in. If you ask my mom, for example, or my closest friends, they would they would recite before any accolades, they would talk about the sacrifices made. And to me, they always just felt like really conscious choices. I, I don't know that there were many things I felt like I was really sacrificing, maybe the university experience or some things that I saw my siblings go through, but that discipline, especially in a sport like skating where you have to choose and kind of form a path so young, the discipline at 12, 13, 14, I mean, I look back on and wonder where the hell that came from, but I, 
it also did just come naturally because we wanted, you know, to be the best in junior, to be the best in novice, whatever it was. Right. Um, and maybe that's why now I'm just so grateful for all the seemingly normal things I get to experience because, you know, the life for an athlete is really, as you said, so regimented and so structured and it's all I knew, but I didn't realize how crazy or rare it, it was or abnormal. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and maybe that's good. Maybe looking back, it's better that you, you have that kind of naivete and youth and you, you don't know, you know, how um, unique uh, and singular what you're doing is in, in, in many ways. But yeah, sometimes it's better to not know what, what the other side is. Although I will say whatever I was destined to do in life, I knew that it wouldn't be normal. I, I, I want to, um, before we, uh, before I let you go, Tessa, I want to talk about, you know, I always hate using the word legacy, but, but you're going to have a legacy and your impact is, is worldwide. And it's, 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 it's truly remarkable. When did you start thinking about the impact that you were having on young people? Um, and, and anybody, frankly, like what did, when, when did you realize that, that you, were somebody that people were looking up to and that they were looking at as a role model and what's that moment like I don't know I mean I still grapple with that in a, in a way um, not that I don't think it's a, a gift or a great responsibility but it seems to me strange I still feel like I'm too close to my career to have a sense of what that means from a skating perspective um, but it's, what's so neat is to have a story that exactly what you're drawn to is like the, 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 the hard work and the process of something, not just being results driven. It's, it's that the joy is in that hard work and it's really neat to be able to have some practical application of those lessons, all of those cliches I've lived <laughs> and to be able to speak to those, if they can impact or affect or influence anyone, then I think that's a, a really special treasure. And, you know, especially with young girls and women, my, my goal is always, no matter what I say yes to, no matter what I take on, it's always to empower them. Uh, on that note, I've got to ask, cause I've got two little girls. Where do I find a Tessa Virtue Barbie? Because uh, oh. I hear that there are Tessa Virtue Barbies floating around. Yeah, I'll mail you. I'll mail you some. Okay. I, so what was that? What was that? So that that can't be on the list when you're setting goals as a kid, right? I mean, I want to have my own Barbie. What? I, before we go, I got to know how did that come together? Yeah, I was shocked, and you know that that came to mind when you asked the last question about when did you realize that you had some uh, that you were a role model. The Barbie thing helped because I was able to see sort of in three D like this this iconic brand come to life and um, with an association and a collaboration with them. That was incredible, but more than that, in the collection there were just, uh, I think about 20 other females across the world represented, everyone from a scientist to a truck driver to a gymnast, um, which I'm sure your daughters have, the, <laughs> the gymnast, uh, and that was really remarkable, just to think, okay, you know, that, that moment you know, lives on. And I just love the idea that there are young girls or boys, you know, getting lost in imaginative play 
thinking about, you know, how they can accomplish their own goals. And I think that's that's the key, Tessa, right? It's the it's their own goals. And what what I think your story, and you hit on this a few minutes ago, I think what's so unique about what, what's unique about your story is obviously the success and the records and the the accolades and, and the medals. But what's not unique is that if you if you relentlessly focus on something and you're determined and you're humble and you bring others under this tent with you, um, communicate like you talked about, you can accomplish anything, but it takes a lot of work and it takes commitment. It does. And I mean, you talk about legacy, but what, what you're creating this platform and these conversations you're having with so many incredible, wonderful people, um, you know, people that has such an impact. And I mean, I'll just flip that back to you because I think that's a great legacy to be able to share those lessons and connect people and create this community. It's, it's really impressive. Well, thank you, Tessa. It's 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 been such an uh, an honor and privilege to sit and talk to you for a few minutes. Thank you so much for joining. Everybody pulls the tarp, and I have a feeling we should do a part two. And I think the next time you come on, it's going to be, you know, CEO Tessa Virtue, <laughs> and three-time Olympic gold medalist. I love it, and I also have so many questions for you. So we'll do everybody pulls the tarp, uh, Andrew Moses, in the yes. interviewee chair. Sounds great. I, I look forward to that, Tessa. Thanks so much for joining. Everybody pulls the tarp. Thank you.